and uh, Aaron leading us a great beginning of our worship service. And we're glad that you got up this morning, come to be a part of an early service, and look forward to what the Lord has in mind and in store for today. We are beginning, this is our uh, second part of perhaps many parts as we look at the first few chapters of Romans and talk about why should I believe standing up for Jesus. We do hope that this will help to be able to answer some questions that you may have about why I should believe, or maybe even people that you already know or may run into in the near future or even beyond. And we certainly believe those things that we know and understand from God's Scripture help us to be able to know how we are to behave each day, interact with others, have a greater relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. And want to tell you that with all due respect and honor of God's Word, you might want to sit down for this one. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, So the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26 reads, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May the Lord bless the reading of God's holy word today. When we were in school, when I was in school, actually in school in Texas pursuing a degree, and uh, we were living in Fort Worth, and home, of course, was in Alabama at that time, we had not been married very long, but we would travel back and forth probably in those uh, three years or so. We traveled back from Fort Worth to Alabama and Alabama back to Fort Worth again, always anxious to come home. Sometimes in the middle of the night, we'd leave after work and drive through, you know, how young folks do before babies are born. And uh, uh, so we'd make that travel. But inevitably, every time we come, we would always have to travel through Louisiana. Now, I'm not saying anything about people from Louisiana. I love all folks from Louisiana, present company included, because we know we have people from Louisiana, of course. 
But in the mid-80s and the late-80s, to travel through the interstates and the roads of Louisiana, they were not very good in those days. They're a lot better now. I've driven through, but there were potholes. It seems like that there were places in the concrete that had shifted, and we would be traveling through. And if one of us were asleep while driving, hopefully not the one that was driving, uh, inevitably somebody would wake up and say, we must be in Louisiana. So sometimes the roads would be bumpy. I only use that to be able to say today that today... The road's going to get a little bit bumpy. Now, we have a destination, you see. And our destination is always to be able to complete and to be able to understand and read all of God's truth and all of God's Word. But in order for us to do that, we go through passages such as this. And as we go through this passage, I want to encourage you that even though it might get a little bit bumpy, I don't want you to take a side road. I don't want you to be caught taking napping along the way. I do not want you to be found in a pothole and one that you cannot get out of because we have a destination. And our destination today particularly is that there is a truth that is to be shared. There is love that is to be shown. One of the truths that we have in the passages or the, what we're looking at today actually comes from the verse before. We read verse 18. Kind of a transition first for the first part. The second part of Romans chapter 1 is the last six words of verse 17. We talked a little bit more about it last week. And it is in verse 17 we find it says, The righteous shall live by faith. So Paul writes to the church at Rome in this last half of the chapter 1 and then more in chapter 2 to inform us and to clarify ways that all people need God's righteousness. Everyone is in need of God's righteousness. And in so doing, we're giving answers or at least a better understanding of some of the questions that you may have about God or the excuses that people give for not placing their faith in Jesus in every generation. And whether these are questions that you particularly have that you'd like to be able to answer or that you want to be able to have an answer for others, I hope this this will be a help to you today to have a little bit better understanding and be able to share with others why you believe. Before we go to the questions, I've got a little bit of guidelines that you need to understand because there are some mysteries about God and the universe and the hereafter that the Bible simply does not tell us. Now, I believe the Bible, and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He has given us everything that we need for today and everything He wants us to have. And we need to search the Scriptures over and over again for all the things that He has revealed to us, for it is enough. However, there are still some mysteries. Just for example, for instance, one of the questions that I get asked from time to time What happens to my dog or pet after it dies? Will my pet be with me in heaven? It's just a question that I get. And often, because I can't help myself, I usually say tongue-in-cheek, it depends on what you think the pearly gates are for, to keep them in or to keep them out. I realize that most people, when they're asking, they're wanting perhaps to have a little bit of comfort. But the truth is, it's a mystery of what happens to animals after they die, if anything. The Scripture is silent. Now the Bible tells tells us that only humans are made in the image of God and made to have an eternal relationship through Jesus. But God loves and He knows all His creations. Now, this is not our exa- this is not our subject today, but only example where I cannot give you scriptural proof. And this is one of God's mysteries, and there are many. Now already you're looking a little bit sad today, so maybe I should have used another example. But what we will do today is discuss and discover what the Bible says about the questions at hand and then be able to hopefully say the so what question. In other words, if this is true, then what difference does it make to my life and to others? Also, you need to know this, but all the questions that we look at today that 
Each one of these questions could take a full weekend conference and panel discussion for us to be able to cover it in its entirety. All that needs to be said will not be said in the next 25 minutes. And while we seek to be brief, may we also seek to have clarity and depth of truth. And if nothing else, may our study today cause you to have a great desire to read and to study God's Word and discover even more of the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and truth. And can also admit to you that when we come to subjects such as these, or maybe perhaps any subject that of all importance every time we open God's Word, but I am an inadequate vessel and fear that I will not do it justice. But what we will do is we will stay scriptural today in what God's Word says. The first question that kind of helps us with the guideline of being able to understand this passage is, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? There is perhaps no greater passage of Scripture for us to be able to talk about the universality of the truth of God's Word. And that is that it is for everyone, for all time, and all ages. And we, we ask this question, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? Sometimes from a sense of logical fairness. It doesn't seem fair, at least in our minds, it doesn't seem fair that some people who've never heard of Jesus are held responsible. And we're told today from our International Mission Board and others that there are approximately 7.1 billion people in the world and 2.9, almost 3 billion people in the world have no access to the gospel or have never heard of Jesus. Well, here's Paul's answer from God's Word. God has revealed Himself to all people whether they've heard the name of Jesus or not. By His creation, He's revealed His eternal power and His divine nature. It says that these are the words that are used in this particular Scripture. The sunrise, the sunset, the stars, the planets, oceans, flowers, fish and birds, the platypus, the orangutan, and the extreme complexity of our very own bodies. There is a divine nature. And from His creation, He is, the Scripture uses this word, clearly perceived. And yes, as you and I have said and others have said before, when we look out over God's wonderful creation, how could anyone not believe that there is one true Almighty God and a great Creator of the universe? How could all of this happen by chance? Well, there's a name for this, and the name is Natural Revelation. Natural revelation actually means that God has revealed Himself through nature. And yes, there's, there's not necessarily blanks, a lot of blanks anyway, for you to fill in. And so you may have something that you want to particularly write down and remember from the Scripture or what's said today. And certainly I'll probably give you some ideas as well as we go through. And if you don't get everything down, come see me. We'll be sure if you'd like to have some of the things that were there. But I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul is telling us. He's not saying that through natural revelation, because someone sees a sunset and says, oh, there must be a God, that that person is saved. No, he is saying God has revealed Himself through nature and creation. But those who say that there is no God, or those who've turned to many gods, or those who have worshipped idols, or who have sinned against the God of creation, are without excuse because God has revealed Himself and given each one of us, inside each one of us, a moral compass, sometimes even referred to as a conscience, but all have chosen sin instead. Now I want you to get this. So, so I want you to notice here in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, you've got it there on your screen, or you can look at it in your notes, in your Bibles. It says, they knew God. Now notice the they. 
They did not honor God or give thanks to God. They became dull in their thinking because of their foolish hearts were darkened. In verse 22 it says, They claimed to be wise but were foolish. Verse 23, they were idol worshipers instead of God worshipers. Verse 23 tells us. Well now who are the they that Paul keeps talking about? Some have said that this refers to Adam and Eve who certainly once knew God and turned from God. Some have said, and this may have been exactly who Paul has in mind, it is the Gentiles or those who were the pagan nations. And this would include anybody that's not Jewish. And we know that Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles and so he cares about those who were part of the they. But this also could even describe perhaps even the Jewish nation who at many times in history had known God but turned their back on God and become idol worshippers. We know that that happened more than once, time and time again. I want you to consider this, that even though the United States was not around at the time of Paul's writing, does this not fit the profile of the United States? A one-time Christian nation who revered and honored God. Our founding fathers were leaders in their churches, often quoted scriptures, prayed in the political arena. Not only was prayer allowed in public school, but the Bible was used as part of the curriculum in public schools. But when we began to dishonor God, to not give thanks to Him, our thinking thinking grew dull. When we thought what was wise was foolish. Most of us don't bow down to an idol, but anything that takes the place of God in our hearts becomes an idol. It can be a person or an activity or a thing. It may not be necessarily something bad. It can be something Ordinary or even something good. It could be a sport or a hobby or a job or the lake or the beach or the club. Well, then what happened to America? Read verses 24 and 25. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Think about in America, the definition of marriage has been redefined. Traditional family values have been overturned. The value of life has been so misaligned that there are now over 61 million abortions since Roe v. Wade. And even today, and even maybe it's been around, maybe I just haven't heard it until recently, there's a new term called afterbirth abortion. My goodness, how could there be such a thing? Where's the moral compass? Where's God? We'll read again verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So who's the they that Paul is talking about? Is it Adam and Eve? Is it pagan and Gentile nations? Is it the Jewish nation? Is it the United States? Well, the answer is yes. And it's you and me. Because even if we had never heard of Jesus before, we would be held responsible. Creation declares there is a God and He is to be glorified. Each side of, inside each of us is a moral compass of what is right and what is wrong. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. You see, Paul is writing to convince the world we're all unrighteousness. We're all unrighteous in need of the righteousness of God, which is only found in Jesus. So there's something called. Special revelation. We've talked about natural revelation. Special revelation, that's where God has revealed Himself through 
Jesus Christ, where God has revealed Himself through Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. Romans uh, 3.22, if we were to just look over a couple of pages or one page, depending on your Bible, Romans 3.22, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul is going to write, getting ready. He's kind of setting us up. We're previewing where Paul is going so that righteousness is found in Jesus. Well, natural revelation reveals our sin and need for God. What's happened in creation, what we can see in creation, what the world can see, reveals there's a God and our need for Him. Special revelation reveals a provision for new life and eternal life in Jesus. God's creation cannot save a person, but can cause a person to yearn for God And then God can call for a believer to go and share the gospel with that person who is looking to find out about God. Do you believe that? Creation can call someone to yearn and desire, want to know who this God is. And then God can call a person then to go or to be at the right place at the right time if they're in tune with the Lord so that that person may come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Do you believe it can happen? Well... Acts chapter 8, Ethiopian's on his way back to Africa, having come from Jerusalem. He has part of the Scripture in his hands of Isaiah. And then we find it was an angel that came and told Philip to go to the Ethiopian and share with him about Jesus, and he did. And the first African was saved. And then Acts chapter 10, there's Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion who is a God worshiper. And he is, told by, he is told that by an angel that someone would come to him. And at the same time as he is being told, Peter's on a housetop and he gets a vision from God. And in that vision, he's told that someone's coming to look for him to take him to this Roman soldier. And Peter goes and shares with a centurion. And then Gentiles, Romans, begin to be saved. And then in Acts chapter 17, God worshipers, a group of women, are hanging around by the riverbank having prayer meeting. And they're worshiping God, though they do not know Jesus. And they're doing that in the city of Philippi, Macedonia, and Greece, and Europe. Then Paul, who is in Turkey, is in Asia, in Asia Minor at that time. And he receives a vision. And Paul, in that vision, he sees a man who is calling, says, come over and help us in Macedonia. And Paul sets sail, goes over for the first time. The gospel is shared in Europe. Europeans come to know Jesus. And it's been happening for 2,000 years. Many a story about those who yearn for God and God calls a believer to come and share the gospel. Many who have said, I knew that He must exist, I just did not know His name. And it doesn't have to be just in a foreign country, you understand, because there are people more and more so people living in the United States, your neighbors, maybe they've heard the name of Jesus. Maybe they're wanting to know what is the answer and who's God and what, where are the answers found and they need somebody to come and be able to share that Jesus Christ died for them so that they might be able to have life and He rose again. All people everywhere are responsible for their knowledge of God and their own sins. And all believers are to respond to their call to share the good news of God's love. If people who did not know of Christ were not held responsible for their own sins, it would be better for us not to share. Can I say that again? If people who did not know of Jesus were not held responsible for their sins, then it would be better for us not to share. But you also need to know that if there's any way for a person to be saved, 
then it would have been unnecessary for God to have taken the drastic step of sending His Son to die on a Roman cross. For whether this is on the screen or not, you might want to write this down. Jesus is still the only way. Jesus is the way and the only way. No man cometh unto the Father except through Him. So, looking at our questions, I'd love to ask if you still have any questions, but there's not time for that, so I'll just do the one talking this morning. And, uh, but how about question number two? How can I believe with all the evil in the world? This important passage helps us to have a better understanding of the effects of human free will. Here's just kind of a formula that I believe that uh, will, it describes what we're reading here in this passage. Indifference leads to ingratitude, which leads to ignorance, which leads to immorality. It is the description of what Paul is writing here in these verses. Or it's a summary, perhaps. Our culture today often talks about the theory of evolution. The problem with the theory of evolution, it is the theory that things are progressing, that things are getting better, and they're getting better on their own. But what is really happening, what we have observed, what we see actually happening in the world, and what's described in these verses is not an evolution, but it's a de-evolution taking place. God made the perfect world, a garden of Eden, a paradise, if you will. One choice was to eat or to not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, sin entered the world. In every sense, every one of all time has been born with a sinful nature. And we are all sinners, and the result is a fallen world. In Genesis chapter 19, there's a story of Abraham's nephew Lot dwelling in the wicked city of Sodom. Two strangers come to that city. They come to see Lot. And they're actually two angels and they're going to rescue Lot and his family. But as they come, they come and they come into Lot's house. And the men of that town see the two strangers come in to Lot's house. And they come and they surround Lot's house, these men. Every one of the men of the city, the Scripture tells us, And they demand for the strangers to be brought out so that they might have their way with them. Lot is so desperate, he offers his daughters instead. Of course, the summary of the story is that the angels rescue Lot. All of the men of the city are struck blind at that moment. Later, all of the city is destroyed by God's wrath. Can I tell you that I remember reading that story as a kid. 45 or to 50 years ago, I mean as a young child, reading through Genesis for the first time, and I, and I remember reading the story and thinking to myself, how unbelievable this, this story is. Now, I don't mean the part about angels striking blind or the destroying of the city, but men, wickedness in this city, how unbelievable. But i got to tell you, as I read it today, it doesn't seem that so far-fetched. Sodom serves as an example of how wicked and evil this world can be. And as a believer, someone who is seeking the truth, we cannot deny that evil is rampant, Satan is at work, sin is digressing when left unshackled, unchecked, and unrepentant. And one reason is, is because God allows us to make our own decisions, good or bad, so that we will have an opportunity to choose for God and for good. Otherwise your choice for Christ would have little meaning. 
But you need to know that one day God will bring an end to all wickedness and all evil in the world. But if the Lord decided today, right now, that He's going to rid the world of all evil, take care of all evil and wickedness in the world, where would He start and where would He end? Well, let's say that you decided, or I decided, well, let's, let's, be, let's ask God to take care of everyone that's more evil than me. I mean, all the wickedness that is worse than I am. The problem with this, then, that you would be the most wicked person in the world. And that doesn't look good on a resume. So we know that one day all evil, all wickedness will be taken care of, and there will be a time when God's wrath will be unleashed. But we are able to see the heart of God in that familiar verse in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in some sense, the evil continuing in the world is also evidence of God's grace. But know that it grieves the heart of God, and His desire is that all come to Him in repentance and faith. This passage also tells us God's wrath which one day will be complete is partially reflected in God allowing the people to digress in their sins. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a familiar phrase that was repeated three times in the passage that we read that says, God gave them up. Verse 24, verse 26, and then verse 28. Meaning God allows those who are continuing in their sin, unrepentant, without thought of God or others, to digress believing that they're getting all this world has to offer, but instead are trying to fill a void in their heart and in their life that cannot be filled apart from Jesus Christ. So for those who say, how can I believe with all the evil in the world? You say, I must believe, for if there is no Christ and no resurrection, and my only hope is in this life, then I am of all people to be most pitied. We'll leave that up for just a moment. My hope is in Jesus. I must believe because if there's no Christ and no resurrection, and my only hope is in this life, then I am of a people to be most pitied. So if you want to write that down, feel free to do that. Or you can find where Paul writes some of this very thing, but a little bit more words to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 13 through 19. Because yes, this is what we believe. We believe in the one who is the resurrection and all the evil, all the wickedness in the world, all the things that seem unfair because we're believers in the Lord Jesus instead of causing us to lose our faith, in some sense it should strengthen our faith because we know there's a God who gives life, whose heart is grieved and who wants all people to come to know Him. Well, how about this question? What if I was born this way? Well, the answer is yes. You were born this way. Since the fall of man, the Garden of Eden, you, you were born with an inclination towards sin, with sin through Jesus, though we are provided a way of escape so that we are not slaves to sin any longer. I want to give you an opportunity to listen in on a conversation that I had with my dear, sweet grandmother, who's now gone to be with the Lord, but a few years before she died, she asked me a question and we had kind of an awkward discussion. Now, if you think the subject matter today is maybe a little bit uncomfortable, imagine how I felt when my grandmother asked her preacher grandson 
Or some people born to be gay and lesbian and they cannot help the way they act and must be intimate with one another. And I'm thinking, gee, I just thought all you thought about was cooking and gardening. Uh, I told her I've read many articles about talking about both. Some say it's genetics and having something to do with the next chromosome, at least in males. But there's no genetic scientific proof as far as I know, only common variations and claims. And then she asked, well, why do so many people claim that they're born this way? I said, well, even if people were born with a certain orientation, even if there was a scientific proof, it's a result of the fallen world in which we are in is not part of God's plan. And then she asked, but if they are born this way, then does that make it a sin? I said, well, any kind of lust is a sin. Jesus tells us, Sexual relations is a gift from God meant between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. And for anyone to take that gift and use it in any other way than a man and a woman in marriage would be wrong in God's eyes. And at this point, I'm sure she's seeing the sweat that's coming on my brow. But I went on to say, if I was born with an inclination toward women, it does not give me the right to grab any woman on the street and have my way with her. We are all born with certain inclination towards sin. We are all sinners. But with God's help, we're to follow God's guidelines as found in God's Word. And homosexual or heterosexual, we are to love everyone regardless of who they are or what they've done. If they don't know Jesus, biblical guidelines will not matter very much. What they need to do is to be saved and for Jesus to forgive all of us and He calls us into His family. At this point, I think I said, could I have some milk and cookies? And we went on perhaps from there and talked about other things. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 are some of the clearest passages of God's view of homosexuality. There are other passages as well. Now the Bible does not say, and I want to say this very carefully, the Bible does not say that homosexual tendencies are sin whether it be by genetics or by environment, but the Bible does label as sin all lustful desires and improper actions. And here Paul's giving an example of men and women who've traded the natural or what was intended in God's creation to the unnatural. He's not saying homosexuality is any greater or worse than any other sin, but it's a clear example of the violation of God's intention and created order. But the same love... And the same forgiveness is offered as it is to all who are sinners in need of God's grace. Many a testimony I've heard of the Lord Jesus saving people from all kinds of evil and immoral lifestyles, including homosexuality. And oftentimes when we talk about this kind of subject, someone says or someone thinks, why this subject when there are so many other sins that people need to hear about? Paul must have heard you. Because just in the passage we read, we read 22 or 24, I've counted them, but now I forget the number of sins that we just read about in this passage. If you don't think these include you because you're not a murderer, you're not a God-hater, right in the midst of these horrific sins, you ever gossiped? You ever disobeyed or been dishonoring to your parents? Ever been unloving or unforgiving? What makes one sin worse or greater than any other sin is when it is unrepented sin or accepted as not sin at all. And this last part of Romans is seen as a description of the great digression of society or the person who rejects God. 
he or she dishonors God, is ungrateful even for the creation or created order, worships something other than God, worships the creation or the creature instead of the Creator, which leads to immorality and evil in the heart. And then there's the final nail in the coffin, or the bottom part of the digression is, sin is no longer sin. It's not wrong anymore in our eyes. And even though God may have put a moral compass in your heart, at one time you at least knew that you were doing was wrong, now for those who remain apart from Christ in a sinful lifestyle, according to verse 32, not only do you not see sin as wrong, but it's now approved by those who continue in the downward spiral. So yeah, maybe there is a greater sin. Unrepentant sin. Or to improve or encourage sin in others. Romans 3.23 is correct. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're born this way. But through Jesus Christ, we are born again to a new life. We got another question. Oh, I got a couple of minutes for that one. Good. Is there any hope for me? I got to tell you, my desire is this is not just a gloom or doom message. In fact, I hope it's just the opposite. That this is a message of hope. Because Paul is writing to convince us all that all people are in need of the righteousness of God. But if this is your question, or this is a question that you hope to be able to perhaps share with someone else, there is hope. And it begins when you see that God has a plan for your life and for eternity. He wants to forgive you of all sin. He wants to adopt you into His family as His very own and give you life and eternal life. And no one is so far away that they're out of touch or they cannot come to know Jesus and be a part of God's family. Nor do you need to clean up your act before coming to Jesus. You do need to be repentant. You do need to admit that you're a sinner in need of Him. Place your faith in Him and allow Christ to take charge and control of your heart and life. And He will change you. Did you see... The commercial after the Super Bowl. Now, I don't mean the, one of the commercials that were happening during the Super Bowl last week. The one that happens after the Super Bowl. The one that's usually done by the quarterback or the most valuable player on the winning team. This year it was both. Hey, Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, you just won the Super Bowl. Now what are you going to do? We're going to Disney World. i got to tell you, I've been inspired. I've been inspired because... I want to buy every one of you that wants one. I want to buy you a pass to Disney World. Now listen, I've said it here before God and before everybody. Everybody that wants one, I want to buy you a pass to Disney World. There is going to be one stipulation. You're going to need to run from this parking lot to Orlando, Florida, nonstop. But when you get there, I'll have a pass waiting on you for Disney World. Now listen, I see some of you out there running. And it just as I drive by and I see you running, it just warms my heart. I feel better physically just to watch some of you that are runners. I believe some of you could run. Some of you, listen, with enough motivation, some of you might be able to make it to Phoenix City, Alabama, I believe. You're still kind of a long way away, over 300 miles from this point right here, 371 miles to Disney World. Someone like me, now listen, I'm going to run maybe, I'd probably fall out about the bottom of Dean Road. I might make it to Moore's Mill Road, if that's the way we're going, you understand. But that would be about it. But probably all of us, if we gave it a shot, we'd fall out somewhere between here and perhaps in Phoenix City. 
that we just have to stop or fall out, fall on the side of the road. Now, from our perspective standing here, we would look out, and we, those of us who <laughs> didn't make it very far, oh, we'd look at all of those folks who, who perhaps ran all the way to Phoenix City. But if we were in Orlando, and looking back this way, and looked, the 350 plus miles that still would have to go for any of us that we did not make it, we would all seem about one clump, and we would not have made it very far. That must be how it looks to God in heaven. We might think, look how much better we are than a lot of people. But from a heavenly perspective, we must all look about the same. We have all fallen way short. Some have been disobedient to parents. Some have told a lie. Some are murderers. Some are thieves. Some are homosexuals. Some are gossips. Most of us have multiples of sins, too many to count. No matter how good you think you are, how bad you are, we have all fallen short. We are without excuse, but not without hope. Still want you to be able to understand and notice that your notes here are in first person, at least, because we want to make it personal. But if I don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, there's hope. I'm able to call on Christ today for new life and for eternal life. And no matter who you are, if you don't know Christ today, you can know that you have a home in heaven. You can know that you have Jesus in your heart, not because of anything that you have done, because this passage clearly says and shows that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. But if I do know Christ, I'm able to count on Christ for strength and help to live today. There is hope. There's hope in our life, and we know that, and we're made righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's hope because there's no longer a digression in our life to where things are going to get worse and worse. Instead, there's a progression of a better, victorious living with Him. Christians can feel defeated in this world we live, but may this be a reminder that Jesus gives hope. No more excuses. He's done everything necessary so that we might be able to live for Him even in this world and in this generation and in this place. Let's bow for prayer. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and how it speaks. Sometimes even when it's cutting to the heart. And Father, we thank You for how we're able to see ourselves because of the Lord Jesus. For those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are thankful, Father, that we can know that we have a home in heaven, Christ in our heart, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the faith that we've placed in our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that we may not make excuses for how we live, but instead that we may progress in Christ. Far from perfect, but Father, may we become more and more like Jesus every day. And Father, we pray for someone or others who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. We thank you even for passages like this that reflect and reveal that there's a God who is the Creator God who has revealed Himself through creation. And there's the God who is the Redeemer God revealed Himself through Jesus. We thank you, thank you that we can have hope in this life and the life to come. We pray for those, even today, Father, who may need to call upon Jesus as their Savior and Lord. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.